I am Brother Cornell West. This is Chris Hedges. I'm Rosa Clemente. Hey, what's up? This is Chuck D, Public Enemy Prophets of Rage. And this is Newsbeat. Hey, everybody. This is Manny Faces, co-producer, audio editor, and host of this, the award-winning Newsbeat podcast, where we shine a sonic light on the most pressing and far too often underreported social justice issues of our time through hard-hitting journalism, music, and often original lyrical contributions from brilliant independent hip-hop artists. Now, this episode continues our exploration of an extremely important topic that we've been covering for the past several years, the incredible power wielded by local district attorneys and the movement among progressive prosecutors to use this to effectuate real, meaningful, lasting change through long overdue reforms. We're specifically focusing on Los Angeles DA George Gascon, who, after successfully enacting several reigning in status quo, law and order, tough on crime measures, feeding America's mass incarceration addiction and ascent to the biggest prison state in the world, has been sued by a union representing hundreds of prosecutors, suing him to stop. Unfortunately, Gascon's uphill battle for true reform is no solitary struggle rather, one shared by other prosecutors across the country attempting to do the same kind of thing. Breaking this all down for us are Carissa Byrne-Hessick, a distinguished professor of law at UNC School of Law and founder of its Prosecutors and Politics Project, and Miriam Krinsky, executive director of the nonprofit Fair and Just Prosecution. Now, regular listeners know that full Newsbeat episodes include original hip-hop verses performed by our ever-growing arsenal of incredible artists, and we encourage y'all to check out all of our previous drops wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also visit usnewsbeat.com for those and much more, including accompanying narrative stories, guest and artist bios, some web exclusives, and merchandise. And as always, if you like what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us. Every little drop of love helps. So without further ado, this is Law and Order versus Reform in L.A. Votes are still very much being counted in this election and in the L.A. County DA's race. Both campaigns say they are waiting for those further results we are expecting. But here is where things stand right now in this race with the votes that have been counted so far. Gascon, the challengers ahead with close to 54 percent of the votes. Counted. The race for L.A. County DA is now over. In an emotional speech, Jackie Lacey conceded and congratulated rival George Gascon for what she called a contentious fight. Gascon, the former San Francisco DA, says he's ready to implement major justice reforms in the nation's largest district attorney's office, like not filing death penalty cases and reopening officer use of force cases. George Gascon is now Los Angeles County's 43rd district attorney. His overall message, the end of the era of mass incarceration begins today. Here's a list of other changes. Number four is huge. Gascon no longer seeking enhancements to crimes like gang affiliation. That could take years off a person's sentence and will be applied retroactively more than 20,000 past cases are now up for review. LA voters did something that's been happening, I'd say with some increasing frequency across the United States. They elected someone who ran for prosecutor on a platform of reform. Our intuition is that to the extent they campaigned, and lots of prosecutors didn't really campaign, most prosecutors, when they would run for office, would run on what I'd call a traditional message about public safety, 
about law and order, about their good working relationship with local law enforcement officers. Those are sort of the traditional platforms, sometimes touting results in a specific case. That's sort of the traditional campaigning that we saw from the limited studies that are available out there about prosecutor elections. Now, more recently, we've seen prosecutors in a number of different places in the U.S. campaign on platforms of reform. So instead of saying things like, you know, we're going to send more people to jail and keep you safe at night, they talk in much broader terms about what safety means, about what justice means. We begin at four with the stunning political upset still making national headlines this afternoon. St. Louis County Prosecutor Bob McCullough soundly defeated in Tuesday's Democratic primary. The man who took him down, Wesley Bell, will soon become the first African-American to hold the St. Louis County Prosecutor's Well, in a stunning victory, public defender Chesa Boudin has been declared the winner of a hotly contested district attorney's race in San Francisco. Boudin is the child of weather underground activist Kathy Boudin and David Gilbert, who were both incarcerated when he was still a toddler. My next guest is also making history at the local level, becoming Boston's first ever female district attorney and the first woman of color to serve as DA anywhere in the state. Rachel Rollins was sworn in as Suffolk County's top prosecutor. At what point did you decide to run for district attorney? I was really tired of turning the TV on and seeing an incident involving law enforcement where overwhelmingly black male comes in contact with overwhelmingly white male officer and people were losing their lives. They run sometimes with very specific promises about changing cash bail, for example, or taking a more rehabilitative approach to juvenile justice, even refusing to prosecute certain low-level crimes like marijuana possession or minor shoplifting or those sorts of things. I think the message that we see from some of these campaigns is that if we want to talk about public safety, we need to think about that idea as encompassing more than just putting people in jail. George Gascon was elected overwhelmingly by voters in Los Angeles on an agenda of change. Voters recognize that how we've done things in the past simply hasn't worked. In San Francisco, he had a record of being quite progressive. It's not always the most popular thing among law enforcement officials, but he really did a lot to end cash bail in San Francisco and to reform our justice system in ways that now we're seeing other cities adopt. And that we need to move away from practices that are failed ones that have driven mass incarceration and that have damaged communities, and in particular, communities of color. So D.A. Gaston, when he ran for office, made clear that in his mind, we need to do things and hit a reset on the justice system that would include treating drug use as a public health issue, understanding that people age out of crime, and that individuals who receive decades-long sentences should be entitled to a second chance and a second look, Recognizing that incarceration in and of itself is criminogenic, meaning that if we put people behind bars while they're awaiting trial, but when they don't pose any threat to the community, and if we keep them behind bars simply because they're too poor 
to bail their way out, to post a bail, that that does harm not simply to them, but also to our broader community. And he also recognized that some of the past practices in areas like three strikes laws and sentencing enhancements, and at its most extreme, the death penalty, are not practices that align with other parts of the world and that also have not inured to the benefit of communities, that they don't make us any safer. And in many instances, they're simply throwing dollars and throwing lives away. And when he took office, very early on, within his first couple of days, he started to roll out policies that implement those reforms. Unfortunately, not everyone embraced the change that the voters elected him to implement. There has been pushback from some within his office. There has been pushback from some groups that are tethered to the status quo. And some individuals in his office, through a union that represents members of the line prosecutors, um, that union sued to try to put the stop sign up and halt DA Gascon's practices. The union that represents most L.A. County prosecutors plans to try to get a restraining order against the newly elected district attorney, George Gascon. The union says some of Gascon's new justice reform measures are in conflict with state law, putting some prosecutors in an impossible position in court. And that issue is still working its way through the courts. It triggered the filing of what's called an amicus or friend of the court brief by the state association of district attorneys, of which DA Gascon was a part at the time, but yet they filed a friend of the court brief on the other side of his policies, essentially suggesting that he did not have the autonomy or the discretion to put those practices in place. The union that represents most L.A. County DA's office prosecutors filed legal actions today that ask for an order blocking Gascon's directive that banned the use of second and third strike allegations that can result in much longer prison terms for repeat offenders. Michelle Hannessy is the president of the Association of Deputy District Attorneys for L.A. County. So, Ms. Hannessy, what is this lawsuit about? And what are you trying to achieve? Well, the crux of the litigation is we're asking a court to make a decision about whether the prosecutors in the district attorney's office in Los Angeles have to follow the directives of our new employer, which order us to violate the law or order the law pursuant to our oath as attorneys and government officials and our duties as attorneys to follow the Constitution and the law. The union, as well as the local union, as well as the state association, are advancing arguments in regard to why, in their view, D.A. Gascon's new policies in telling members of his office not to seek sentencing enhancements, not just in future cases, but also in pending and existing cases that preceded his coming into office. Those groups are making legal arguments as to why, in their view, he's not empowered to enact those policies. And a local judge in Los Angeles agreed with some of those arguments. Those arguments are ones that will play out eventually as DA Gascon 
challenges that interpretation of the law up on appeal. L.A. judge today ruled that some of the justice reform policies rolled out by L.A. County D.A. George Gascon conflict with state law and that judge has ordered him stopped. The judge found that some of Gascon's policies that were aimed at reducing prison time and punishment for some serious and violent crimes are, in some cases, unlawful. All of these tend to fall into the bucket of the more serious felony cases, many of them involving violent crimes. And Gascon's idea, which is certainly something he campaigned on, was that prosecutors have traditionally been way too aggressive in seeking what he thought were absurdly long prison terms. Fundamentally, what's going on is just a philosophical difference. You know, why are those groups trying again? Why are they pushing back? You know, I think in D.A. Gascon's view, and, and certainly there are others, including a number of elected D.A.s that our group, Fair and Just Prosecution, works with around the country, the view of those D.A.s, the view of D.A. Gascon is that, you know, at the end of the day, this really comes down to what vision of the criminal justice system do they embrace and should prosecutors embrace? Where do we go next? And what prerogatives do local elected DAs have to chart that vision? Prosecutors, particularly the elected prosecutors, often seen as the lead law enforcement officer. And so for that power to not be in the hands of white men, where it has traditionally been, a lot of this has to do with the fact that this power has now shifted to someone who does not look like the traditional power holders who bring a different viewpoint and a different understanding and then aren't just bringing that but are willing to act on it. The truth is most states' criminal codes contain a lot of crimes and those crimes overlap with each other. And so a prosecutor can pick and choose like off a menu which of the crimes they'll bring in an indictment or whatever the charging instrument is in the particular state. That creates a lot of power for the prosecutor. The, power, the prosecutor can say to a defendant, for example, plead guilty to this offense, to this crime that doesn't carry a mandatory minimum, or I'll reindict you for the crime that does carry the mandatory minimum. Mandatory minimums require judges to punish certain crimes with a minimum number of years in prison, regardless of context, which is a little strange, because context is important. Context is important. Our current mandatory minimums were mostly passed during the tough-on-crime era of the 1980s and 90s, and they're partially responsible for the explosion of our prison population. What's less obvious is that prosecutors actually gain more power because they can't possibly prosecute all of the things that are now crimes. They can't possibly prosecute them in part because we have so many statutes, but they also can't possibly prosecute them because we just don't give them enough prosecutors. It means prosecutors have to decide how to use the resources of their offices. They know, and the legislatures know, that they can't possibly bring criminal charges in all circumstances. And then on top of that, they can't bring all of the criminal charges that would, would fit given sort of how many overlapping crimes they have. So one way to think about it is prosecutors are so powerful because we expect them to not use their power, right? We expect them to not bring all of the charges that they can. And so their greatest power is actually the power to not prosecute. It's a little counterintuitive, but once you recognize that prosecutors can't possibly bring all of the charges for all of the crimes that happen, they then have to decide when they will use their power. 
And this is why some people have started to say that if we want to deal with over-criminalization and mass incarceration, an easy way to do that would be to get elected prosecutors to say that they will use their power less. Because people don't really dispute that they have the power to not bring charges. But once people recognized that prosecutors had this ability, reformers started to target prosecutor elections as a source of criminal justice reform. Since taking office in January, Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner has hit the ground running, staying true to his platform of ending mass incarceration, bringing back balance to prison sentencing, and overall criminal justice reform. We sat down with Krasner at his office as he gave us a gauge on where things stand just three months into the job. We have seen significant gains in having a declining population in the jails. We are trying not to charge cases that are truly stupid. We're trying to go ahead with the ones that matter and focus our attention on violent crime. When people look at the reduction in incarceration, they can see that it doesn't necessarily result in a, in a spike in crime. It's not unprecedented for line prosecutors to disagree with the elected district attorney. It's not unprecedented for them to sometimes get fired if there's a change in administration. But between the large difference in policy approaches between Lacey and Gascon, and then I think the fact that it's such a big city and gets so much media attention, and then the fact that the way some California statutes were written, it allowed an opening for some of these line prosecutors to actually bring a lawsuit to challenge some of the enforcement priorities and enforcement criteria that Gascon was adopting. I think we've got, in some ways, a sort of perfect storm about a big fight over the power of the prosecutor. California passed laws, and those laws on their face don't appear to contemplate the same sort of prosecutorial discretion that we normally see. And this is specifically for their three strikes law, which is pretty famous. In 1994, California voters passed the toughest three strikes law in the country following the murder of 12-year-old Polly Class by a repeat offender. Her father, Mark Class, remembers. There was absolute outrage, not only in the country, but specifically in the state of California. By November of 1994, the public had voted on the three strikes initiative and it had passed by 70 to 28%. Part of that three strikes law, it's written in a way that seems to contemplate that the prosecutor doesn't have discretion whether to allege the prior strikes, which is basically to decide whether the mandatory minimum applies or not. That's part of what's being litigated here, right? It's not Gascon versus his line attorneys, so much as it's the line attorneys saying the statute doesn't give prosecutors everywhere this power. Now, it's interesting because the statute's been around for a long time. And my understanding from talking to people who live in California or who studied California very specifically, they'll tell you it's pretty clear Prosecutors in other counties in California are exercising discretion, that they're not always bringing these charges, and they can back that up with studies or what have you. The difference is they didn't run on a platform like that, and they're not putting out public statements letting everybody know that they have an official policy that they're not going to charge these strikes. And instead, these are decisions that are being made on sort of a case-by-case -case basis without scrutiny 
the same way that we're seeing in LA. The movement that we built must continue to grow. It must continue to demand that San Francisco's district attorney's office makes this city safer for all of us. It must, it must demand that San Francisco make it easier to get help than it is to get high on our streets. It must demand that we stop using the jail as the primary place to treat people suffering from mental illness. In San Francisco, DA Chase Boudin um, has made similar choices to those being made in Los Angeles by the new DA um, in LA, George Gascon. And even there have been a few others um, who have made those similar kinds of policy decisions grounded in a different starting point and, and lens on the criminal justice system. And there haven't been challenges in those jurisdictions. I think one thing that's different in San Francisco is that Chase Boudin succeeded George Gascon, who was the prior DA there. And so the pivot, the change, was not quite the same as is happening in Los Angeles. In contrast, in Los Angeles, George Gascon ran against the incumbent and really is moving the office in a fundamentally different way than the incumbent that he beat had been practicing for years. Many DAs around the country who have been trying to move change have faced pushback. It's taken different forms, and certainly it's unfortunate that in Los Angeles, you know, the form it's taking is a union representing people in that office and an association that purports to represent elected DAs in the state standing up against an elected DA who's trying to implement what voters elected him to do. We have seen these associations around the country serve as an obstacle to change. Many of them are tethered to a path that didn't work and that newer elected prosecutors are trying to move away from. We've seen these associations, for example, in Florida when Aramis Sayala sought to end her office's use of the death penalty. File a brief similar to what we've seen happen in Los Angeles, articulating the view that she had no discretion to try to do that, which again is an odd position for the association that she was part of to have suggested. We've seen these associations argue against changes in the law. If you look at Larry Krasner in Philadelphia, we saw the legislature pass a law that changed his power in firearms cases. If you look at Rachel Rollins in Boston, we saw judges in her court, they'll set bail even when she says they don't want it. They also refused to dismiss some cases and she had to bring that up to the appellate courts as well. And we say good morning and happy Thanksgiving to DA Rachel Rollins. Now you're coming up to the two year anniversary of your election. What's the most surprising thing you've learned over those two years that you didn't really know before taking office? Huh, so I think I am surprised by how important the work is that we do to change the culture internally in our office. And then just some of the pushback we've received um, with respect to things that are very easy, uh, but we've had to prove ourselves over and over again, but I think we've done a pretty good job. So for example, John, um, prosecutors since the beginning of time have had prosecutorial discretion. 
And that means that with our limited resources, we get to decide what cases we are gonna move forward with and what cases we aren't. And that happens every day, just like police officers use their discretion every day and judges. But police officers and judges aren't elected, prosecutors are. And I've had not one, but two uh, Boston Municipal Court judges that have questioned um, my ability to use my prosecutorial discretion to say we're not gonna charge that crime. That low-level, non-violent, non-serious crime, we're gonna null-cross that case. And remember, what are judges? Overwhelmingly, they are former prosecutors. So when I come in, John, as a candidate and say, this system is disproportionately impacting the poor, disproportionately impacting black and brown people and immigrants, disproportionately um, harming certain communities, those individuals have to look in the mirror every morning and say, wait, did I contribute to that? So is California the sign of, of what's to come? It might be a sign that there's more of this to come, but I'd say that we've already had the canary in the coal mine in some of these other places. We've already seen that some of these prosecutors are going to get pushback because they've been getting pushback. 